we have been we have been talking about temple talk about building you know i love this and it just just hearing the things that that alicia was talking about about church family family as church and i i i i love this graphic that we have for this short series in the book of haggai because it 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 it's, it says family, doesn't it? It says family building together. And there's all kinds of home construction projects you could think of that maybe don't seem easier because the kids have their fingers in there too, but it's better because of it. And uh, I love the lettering there. It looks like Bob could have written that. You know, that's Bob's kind of handwriting there. Building up God's house. And we talked about God's house. We talked about temple. That, that last week we gave a, a biblical theology of temple that from the, from the beginning forward that that God's priority is that we would be with him. And temple in the Bible is the place where God's presence is with his people, and it's where God's people experience his presence. So temple is more than simply a building. There's an idea, there's a concept here. Temple, the place where we experience God's presence, that God dwells with his people. And there is a, there was in the Old Testament a physical temple where that happened. The glory of God, the presence of God came down. Excuse me. <clears throat> we talked about how that, how that glory departed. How, it, how God again visited, came back to that physical place, that temple. Because that's where the people of God experienced the presence of God. So the presence of God would come there. But in the New Testament, something has changed. Under the New Covenant, where the Holy Spirit indwells each believer, there's something different going on. That, that the church... There's, there's an indwelling of each born-again believer in Jesus by God's Spirit. In a sense that each of our bodies are the temple of the Spirit. And yet also we experience the presence of God corporately as a church. Paul writes to a specific local church in Corinth and he says, Don't you know that you are God's temple? That together a local church is an expression of temple, God's presence among his people. As well as the church universal around the world is the temple of God. God is building up his church as his temple that he is glorified in it. That's what's going on in temple. So we take that understanding of temple into a particular Old Testament prophetic book where God's people are being urged to get back to what's most important, to get back to the big rock. And the big rock for them is temple. The big rock is to be about what they have been sent to do, what they have been commissioned to do. See, these people parallel us in another way. They were sent and commissioned by their king to do a particular thing. We have been sent and commissioned by our king, the king of kings, the, the, the ruler of the universe, the creator of everything. And he has said, build my church. He has said, go, make disciples, baptizing, bringing them into faith in Christ and growing them deeper in their faith and walk with the Lord, teaching them to do all that I've commanded you. So that we are under a commission, they were under a commission. And so the background of, of the book of Haggai the people following the Babylonian captivity, they have been returned by King Cyrus. King Cyrus, the Persian king who conquers Babylon, ends the Babylonian empire, now it's the empire of the Medes and the Persians, and it's even bigger. And he comes to a place where he says, I want these Jewish people to return to their land, to return to their city, where was their temple, and to rebuild it so there they could offer offerings and they could make prayers on my behalf for God's blessing on me and on my kingdom. So he sends them back that they would build God's temple, that they would pray for him. It's fascinating. 
fascinating reality that God is so working in the kingdoms of men. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whichever way he will. Our God is sovereign over the affairs of this world. They're under commission. Now, now imagine another parallel maybe between us and these people in the book of Haggai. Imagine, if you will, that you have, you, 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 you've had a covenant relationship with God in Christ. And yet, along the way, you've wandered. You've gone your own way. You've done your own things. And you, you realize that in life, you've paid some consequences for that. Some things have unraveled. Some things have gone wrongly. And you know what it is to experience what Hebrews 12 says, that those whom the Lord loves, he does discipline. That God doesn't necessarily discipline and, and chasten and, and bring back by correction those who aren't his children, but those who are his children, he does. And, 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 and perhaps along the way you, you've experienced some of that. And, and, and God did what he must do in order to get your attention. And you've been returned back into that place of walking in obedience with him. And, but not only that, that God has not only returned you, but God has restored you. And God has invited you again into that work of being a part of that which he loves the most, which is building up his church, building up the bride of Christ, building the temple, building up God's house. And that's all of our story to one level or another. I don't know what the wandering looks like. I don't know what the, what the um, uh, return looks like. But, but the fact that God has commissioned us the same way that Cyrus commissioned them to be about building. To be about building up his temple if we can call the church, as Paul does in Ephesians and Corinthians, if we can call the church God's temple. And so now the book of Haggai is a unique prophetic book. First of all, it's the second shortest. It's only two chapters. This one's easy to grab hold of. This is easy to get a, get a handle on. It's only two chapters. We're going to deal with one of them today and have one left. It's a short book, but it's unique in another way. It's unique in how God speaks and how his people respond. Refreshingly unique among all the Old Testament prophets. And we're going to see that as we go. But there's a pattern here for us. What they are called to in a similar way, by analogy, we are called to. And so might their response, what God says to them, God says to us. And the way they respond, maybe we respond. So I invite you to turn to the book of Haggai. I, I invite you to find the book of Haggai. If you're using the uh, church Bible, you'll find us on page 791. If you're using your own Bible, you will find us right there towards the end of the, of the Old Testament. If you get to Matthew, you've gone too far, go back. You'll find Malachi, you'll find Zechariah. And tucked in just before Zechariah, you might find Haggai. The book of Haggai. And I'm going to start reading the book of Haggai. I'm going to read chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Okay, first of all, in, in verse 1, we get all three players. We've got prophet, priest, and king here. We've got Haggai the prophet. We have got Zerubbabel, who is the grandson of one of the last kings of Judah. So he's in the Davidic line, and we have the um, son of the former high priest as well. So you've got priest, you've got king, and you've got prophet. Well, Zerubbabel's the governor now because this is the time of the Gentiles, and so there is no king of Israel. 
there's a king coming. Verse 2, thus the Lord of hosts, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. What do you think you're doing? You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. What do you think you're doing? Go up to the hills, bring wood, build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for the drought on the land and the hills and on the grain and the new wine, the oil on which the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors. So then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and, jo- and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, who with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people filled, feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, the second year of Darius the king. This is real events in real time. Not unlike real events in real life in our time. A particular day, a particular people a particular work that he set before us. Let's pray. Father, we would ask that out of this very particular time and moment, a historical moment in the, in the life of your people, in the building of your temple, Father, would you have something here that would instruct us? Would you, as you spoke through Haggai, your messenger, then? Father, would you speak to us as well through this same messenger? Father, would you use his words again? As you stirred up your people then, Father, would you stir up your people here? Let us have ears that would hear as well, that we might give ourselves, that your spirit would stir in us, Lord, to be about that which you've set before us, that you might be pleased, that you might be glorified. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So he says, God says to his people, he comes and the main, the main uh, thrust is this, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Consider your ways. These, these people are saying, he says, these people are saying, now's not the time to build. They were sent to build. They were, they were mandated by King Cyrus. In, in Ezra chapter 1, Cyrus not only sends them to build his temple, he gives them all the resources they need. He sends with them gold. He sends with them silver. He, he mandates that the, that the, um, the uh, others who are living in the land, those who are under his authority, need to provide the resources that are needed. There's going to be cedars from Lebanon and so on. And everything is there. It's time to build. Cyrus said it's time to build. But the people said... It's not time to build. Cyrus says it's time to build because God told Cyrus it's time to build. That Cyrus is God's anointed, God's chosen one. God is working through Cyrus. God says it's time to build. The people said, 
it's not time to build. Doesn't seem like it's time to build. Why would they say that? Where does that come from? Ezra chapter 4 gives us, they, they, they take a start, they get going, but the work begins to fall off pretty quickly, and Ezra chapter 4 tells us why. In Ezra chapter 4, they find that there's other people in the land when they arrive there. They arrive 50,000 strong, a whole, a whole large caravan comes rolling into town, and they are ready to go, and they're pumped, and they're excited. 70 years, and we are back. 70 years from the first captive's departure, now we are back. And they're excited. Well, they should be excited. God is at work here. God is on the move. And we're part of it. And yet, these other people come along and say, hey, what you guys do? I mean, 50,000 people, that attracts some attention, right? So they come along and they say, hey, what you doing? Well, we are building a temple to the Lord our God as we have been commanded so that we might worship him here and pray. Oh, sounds great. We, we know about temples. We know about gods. You know, we've, we've done temples and gods before. We'll help. We'll join in. And they said, no, no. This is what God has given us to do. This is what the king has said for us to do, that we will worship God according to his law so that we might make prayers for the king. It's, it, this is our work, not your work. Oh, well, you're going to be so exclusive, huh? You're going to be like, this is your way or no way, huh? Well, we'll see about that. Don't you know we're all about inclusion around here? We're all about tolerance, except for your intern. No, 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 no. That's not going to fly. And the people in the land opposed. They hindered. They got in the way, and, and verses 4 and 5 say, The people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build, similar to what they do to Nehemiah when Nehemiah comes along much later and is going to rebuild the walls. The people of the land discouraged the people of Judah, made them afraid to build, and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, the king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. You know what they did? They hired lawyers. They, they, they filed lawsuits. They raised environmental concerns. They hired lobbyists. They distracted the king and told him other things are more important. They, they, did every, they assassinated characters. They said, you know what these guys are up to? You know they're They did everything they could to get in the way of what God was doing here. And for a while, it got discouraging. It got discouraging to keep slogging uphill. And the people said, well... You know, I guess, you know, the opposition comes along. I guess maybe we were wrong. Maybe we heard God wrong. Maybe it's not right now the time to build. Well, we got to do something. I mean, we got to put houses over our heads and those kind of things. Well, we got this cedar. We got this nice wood. I guess we could use that to build ourselves some paneled houses. I mean, it's just sitting here. We're not going to be able to build a temple right now. Opposition comes along. But there'll be less opposition you will find if you take the resources that you have and you use those for your own needs. Try this out. Balance the decision that you make to use resources that you have to meet your own needs versus giving that away for some silly thing that you say God has set before you. That this is God's will, that I need to give to this in some sacrificial way that's going to cost you. And see what other people around you in your life have to say. Many of them will say, that's ridiculous, that's foolish, what a waste. Just like even among the disciples they said concerning that woman and her jar of ointment. Do you remember that in Mark 14? What a waste, they said. This money could have been used for this or that or that. What are you doing just pouring it out on Jesus? And so here, you will find there'll be a lot less opposition if you're going to use what you have for yourself as compared to giving it away with what God sets before you. But Jim Elliott, the missionary, said this. Jim Elliott said years ago, that he is no fool 
who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. What do you have? You have time. You have talents, skills, abilities. You have treasure. Your time will not last. You might have 70 years. You might have 80 years. You might have 90 years. But your time will run out. Sooner or later, all of ours does. You have certain skills and abilities, but as your time runs out, as your mortality creeps up on you, guess what happens with those skills and abilities? They begin to fade. You begin to do less so that you yourself will wonder, why am I still here? What am I doing? What can, I can't do anything anymore. And talents that you had do not continue. What about the treasure? You can't take it with you. Sooner or later, it runs out. Jesus says instead, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide for yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. People said it's not time to build. But sometimes the opposition, sometimes opposition actually shows it is time to build. Sometimes the difficulty can even be the indicator. If God has said, somebody after the first service gave me, gave me something that they had, had in their pocket from a recent devotion. It said this, Christ will lead you in many situations that seem impossible, but don't try to avoid them. Stay in the middle of them, for that is where you will experience God. The key difference between what appears to be impossible to us and what is actually possible is a word from our Master, our Lord. Faith accepts His divine command and steps out in a direction that only God can complete. If you attempt only things that you know are possible with the visible resources you possess, those around you will not see God at work. You will be the one who receives the credit for a job well done. But God will have no part in it. So there is something about opposition that comes along that makes this beyond what you can do. And that's where God, in the midst of this with you, that's where God makes a difference. That's where his glorious hand is seen. And then we say together, look what God did. And he allowed us. He allowed us to have a part of it. We can easily... Make, excuse, make excuses. Luke 14, Jesus tells a parable. He, he compares the kingdom of heaven to a banquet. Isn't it interesting? Participating in what God is doing is compared to a party. We wouldn't think of it that way. We think of it as a hard day's work. No, this time he compares it to a party and he invites everybody in, but, oh, they're too busy. And one guy says, you know, I just, I just bought a field. I need to go look at it. Oh, it's interesting. You bought a field without looking at it? Well, no, he probably just means now he needs to go tend it and plow it and plant it and all of those things. There's much to do, you know. Somebody else says, you know, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I mean, this is a big business. What do you do with five yoke of oxen? Anybody? I don't know what I would do. I, if you had five yoke of oxen in that day, it's like having five tractors or it's having five, uh, five semi-tractors that are going to pull trailers. This is, this is going to be used. He's going to join the caravans. He's going to start moving goods from this place to that place and making money off it. Or he's going to hire his oxen out to plow other people's fields and stuff. This is a business investment that's going to need his time and entanglement. So I'm too busy right now. I can't make, the, can't make the banquet. Sorry, king. I've got these oxen. I've got my business to look after. Another man says, you know, I just took a wife. And, you know, we need a little time now. We just need some time together to focus on ourselves, you know, so that we can make some good habits of, you know, focusing on ourselves. Can I suggest that maybe we don't necessarily need more practice at focusing on ourselves? I don't know. Just a hunch. But in our society, I think that's a danger. Now, 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 let me... Let me 
acknowledge that absolutely there are times when you have people that are so driven to give themselves away. It's like they've got a hunger. They can't fail. Somehow they're trying to, they're trying to earn something or accomplish something by pushing out in all these directions at the same time neglecting their own home, neglecting their own family, neglecting their own spouse. Absolutely that happens. There are times when we in the church, we've had to, as church leaders, address that and, 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 and tell somebody, you know, it's actually, there's, there's, time, there's time to step aside. It easily creeps into pastors' lives as well. One of the reasons... One of the reasons we have sabbatical, it's an important time just for a pastor to pull apart and take some time to rest and reflect and for the Lord to redirect and uh, make, make the more important things to get the big rocks sorted out again. But it's also a time to pull away and let others, all these things have to be done by other people within the body. It's a time to untangle so that we can charge forward again, not having all the things that we've maybe gathered to ourselves in the last five years. So that, that's a very real possibility, but aren't you glad that Jesus didn't have excuses as to why he couldn't come? Can you imagine Jerusalem, crucifixion next week? I don't know, guys. I mean, I'm, I'm booked. You know, I've got all these, these, I've got people that need healing. There's these lame people. There's these blind people. I've got tax collectors and sinners to meet with, to have lunch with. I've got the Pharisees hounding me, and I've got to give them answers. I don't know if I'm going to make crucifixion next Friday. I'm, I'm, I'm slammed right now. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't make excuses? Jesus said, I am going to build my church. And it's going to take everything he had to pull that off. And that's exactly what he gave. Everything he had. Verse 6 is ironic in its contrast of the things that we do and busy ourselves about and what good that it gets us. You've sown much, harvested little. You eat, you don't have enough. You drink, but you'd never, your thirst is not quenched. You clothe yourself and no one is warm. And he, he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Isaiah 55 says, why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? You labor for that which does not satisfy. God says, listen to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Rich food is listening to him. Incline your ear. Come to me here that your soul may live. We want to live in God's life. And we find out where that is. We find out how we do that. How we direct our life into his life and with his life by hearing his word and responding in faith. My own experience in Watching over, you know, now in our family, Julie basically does the financial accounting for our family. We talk about it together, where things are at, but Julie does the counting because she doesn't have a problem that I had. In the past, I would count up and I would see what's there. That looks like, okay, we're in good shape. We're going to be able to handle this. We would, we're looking good now. We, start, we, we sock a little bit more away there and things are going to be just great in past years. And, and every time I would do that, it was like David and his census. Every time I would carefully count and see, look at the resources that we've, we've stacked up here, just about the time I would have all that laid out, wham, the transmission goes out. Or something else happens. You've been there? And all of a sudden, the resources that I thought I had, I don't have anymore. And God pulls some of them back into something. It's, 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 a, it's a purse with holes. Because when I'm relying on the resources that I've got, I'm relying on the wrong thing. And that's futility rather than faith. 
verses 9 to 11 have the same kind of thing. These covenant consequences, there's no dew, there's no rain, there's no veggies or grain, there's no fruitfulness in, in the fields or in their own families. And the reason for that is these are the covenant consequences of wandering away into their own things instead of being busy about the commission that God has given them. What God has said before them very clearly, very plainly, it's time to build my temple. And they're building their own houses. They're, they're farming their own fields. There are many other good things to be doing. It's just not, that's not the thing. That's not the big rock that God has given them to do. And that's what's going on here. Therefore, he says, why? Why, is, why is this going on? Why these covenant consequences that show that you are still my people in, my, in covenant with me? God's discipline shows that they still belong to him. And yet they're not experiencing his blessing because searching for success and security anywhere else other than God is futility, not security. It cannot satisfy. He says, why is this happening? Because my house is in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Nothing wrong with looking after your own house, except when it's at the expense of what God has set before you to do. Put the big rock in first. There's a, there's a thing leaders talk about called the tyranny of the urgent, right? Where the urgent things that seem very, very important in the moment easily crowd out those things that are clearly the most important things that must be done. And sometimes urgent things have to be left the fire has to be left burning sometimes in order that the important thing is not neglected in the process. I, I heard, had somebody tell me a long time ago, you make the Lord's business your business, and he will make your business his business. That's the freedom of faith. That's the when I can give myself away to this or that, not worrying about the future because I know that God's got my back. I know that God, I am God's own. God is holding me. God is looking after me. Underneath are his everlasting arms. So I don't have to worry about Bob. I can concern myself with what things that he has given me. Make the Lord's business your business, and he'll look after your stuff. We can plan for tomorrow without making tomorrow the definitive objective. Building God's church is the definitive objective. Building up one another in Christ, discipling, going, inviting, seeing people come to faith, building one another up in our faith. That is our mission. That is our definitive objective. Now we have, we have, we have basically four things that we can, we can deal with. As well. I mentioned you have time, you have talents, you have, you have treasure, you have testimony. Each of us has time. We have 24 hours in the week. 106, 24 hours in the day, sorry. I shortened your life considerably just then. <laughs> 24 hours in the day, 168 hours in the week. 56 of that, maybe you sleep. You're older, you don't sleep near that much, right? 56 hours, maybe you sleep. 40 to 50 hours, maybe you're working. 10 to 14 hours, maybe are given to meals. You know, that still leaves 48 more. That still leaves another whole work week in there. Well, granted, four hours a day of TV is going to cut into that. But the point is, there is time. There is time, and all of us have the same time in our week. It's what we choose to do with it. Will we put the big rocks in first? There is time. People tell me, I don't have time for this or that or that or that or that. 
There is time to be in a discipling relationship with somebody. There is time to be part of a small group with others. There is time to join a Bible study group. There is time to be serving in an area and to take the time to prepare for that serving. We have, there's time to call somebody. There's time to be caring, exercising your tender heart toward others. We have time. It's what do we do with the time that we have. Each of us have talents, different talents. Some of you in music. Some of you are technology geeks. Some of you are good with kids. Some of you have a tender heart and you see needs and you long to meet them. Some of you are servants and you want to see something and, you, and, and, and you're a get-her-done person. Our deacons, elders, pastors, we would love to have a conversation with you about how do you apply that? What do you do with who God has made you to be in ministry for the sake of others and for building up his church, strengthening others in their faith, bringing others into a knowledge of Christ? How, how does this fit? How could this be used? We'd love to pray with you, to brainstorm with you, not because we have boxes to be filled, but because you have a need to be filled. You have a need to be filled by God's presence in giving yourselves to what he has set before you to do. We'll not find that anywhere else. You have a testimony. You have your own story. You have your own story, your own experience of God's faithfulness in your life that others will grow from. You know, your story of how redemption has played out, how God's faithfulness has worked out when I'm unfaithful, yet he abides faithful because he cannot deny himself, and how that has played out in my life along the way in certain circumstances that right now are, are kind of paralleling, paralleling what somebody else is walking in life. And to be able to be connected with them and to share those things, my testimony, my story, in with their story, pointing to God's bigger picture story of what's going on. To leave that out, to not be part of somebody else's life. You know what it's like? It's like a psalm missing from the, from the book of Psalms. Your story is one of those psalms, and now it's missing. It's like hymns that are missing out of our hymn book. They're just not there. They're just not part of our celebration of God's grace because that testimony isn't a part of the body growing together. Each of us have a testimony, unique and different testimony. And yes, each of us have treasure. We have resources that God has put into our hands, but he has made us stewards, not owners. We give out of a, out of, out of toward a purpose, not out from a surplus. We, when we're giving because we trust God, I trust God, A, he's meeting my needs, B, this is his will, this is his work, then when I give in that basis, because I trust in faith, my giving is now worship. My giving is not obligation. My, my giving is not meeting up to some standard. My giving has become my act of worship because I trust God. This is his stuff. My job is to direct it into what he wills for us to do. There's always reasons for us to use these cedar boards in our own homes. There's always more to do. And yet, Lord, what would you have me to do? Our joy is going to be found in building with God, in the building that God is doing, to live in, to give out God's life in Christ. You know, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that God invites us into his work. I'm amazed that God invites us into this which he is doing as a, as a father does his young children, just like that picture that's on the front of your bulletin. That's what we're doing together. We are together with our God, with our Father, building God's house, building up his temple. God invites us to, to join in with him, so don't be discouraged
Don't be distracted. Come on, let's build. That's what he says in verse 8. Don't be discouraged any longer by these other people in the land and all their antics and all their shenanigans. Don't be, don't be discouraged by the opposition that you face. Don't be discouraged that it's a bit of an uphill climb. You know what I found in backpacking and hiking? The steepest hills lead to the most glorious views. Okay? It's hard to get there. But the view when you arrive is worth the climb. The steepest climbs lead to the best views. So don't be afraid of a little opposition along the way. That opposition may indicate that's exactly where God wants to show his mighty hand on your behalf. So don't be, don't be discouraged by, by um, opposition. Don't be distracted by other things going on. He says in verse 8, go up to the hills, bring wood, and build the house. Well, that's interesting. He provided wood. They've apparently used it elsewhere. He says, go up to the hills. Go up to the Judean hills. He doesn't say go back to Lebanon and get more cedar. He says, go up to the Judean hills and get some of that scrappy wood there and bring that back and you build my temple. You say, oh, man, that's a shame. That wood's not near as nice. That's, that's bush wood compared to these glorious, beautiful cedars of Lebanon. And yet God says, you go. You take the next step. You go and you bring and you build. And what does he say? I will take pleasure in it. Wow. The little thing that I can do, and it isn't much, and yet God will take pleasure in it. My time to meet together with these guys, God takes pleasure in that. Are getting together in this small group week by week. We don't seem to go much of anywhere except to encourage and strengthen each other. God takes pleasure in that building of his temple. The little bit that I would do. I labor over there across in the children's building and nobody knows, nobody notices. And yet God takes pleasure in it. You go and you build and as little as it seems. Do you realize that you have the ability to bring the God of all creation pleasure. Think about that. There's a couple of cute couples out here, and they're sitting there right next to each other, and they, 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 they have the ability to, to uh, make each other smile. and bring, Yeah, so cute, right? You have the ability to bring God joy. Think about that. What we do in response to our Father brings him joy, that I may take pleasure in what you do. Wow. And not only that, that I may be glorified. God is glorified in the sacrificial following of his people. I, I, don't, I don't know just how, and I don't know just where, and I don't know before who, but I can guarantee you this, that there are angels in heaven that have nothing of their own that they can willingly give away for the sake of God's work, that God's work God has put in, in, in their hands, and they watch you. And God is glorified when they say, look how much they love him. And the God of heaven is glorified. And the God of heaven is glorified on earth. Look what he does through you and through me. It amazes me that God would say that I will be glorified. 
And so what do they do? This is the fun thing about Haggai. That's not true of most of the prophets. What do they do? Zerubbabel and Joshua in verse 12 and all the remnant of the people, all 50,000 of them, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. You don't want to translate that. People feared the Lord. We think of that as they are afraid of what God's going to do if they don't. That's the wrong way to understand this. Think of they feared the Lord as they took God seriously. How about that? They took God seriously. They said, that's right. That's what we're supposed to be about. That's who we are. That's who he is. Come on, guys, let's go. And they did. They took God seriously, and they joined in. They gathered together. They responded, obeyed the voice of the Lord. And and look what God does further. Look at verse 13 now. As they take that next step forward, when we take that next step forward, what happens? Look at verse 13. God, as a follow-up message here, it's part of the same message, part of this first message, God says to his people, I am with you. You're not on your own. I am with you as you take the next step. And God doesn't lay out a five-year architectural plan here for them. He says, take the next step. And as they take that next step, go up to the hills, get some wood, bring it down and start building. As they do that little thing, God says, I'm right here with you. We think temple building, right? We know how temples work. You build the temple when it's all done and it's dedicated and there's lots of offerings like Solomon had. Then the glory of God comes down and God's presence is with them. It's not what he says here. His people restored, returned, and into this calling that he has, he has set before them. And he says, you take that step and right there you will experience my presence with you. I am with you. Wait a minute. I said last week that our commission, our great commission is a temple building commission, right? When we are carrying out the great commission to to go after, to invite in, and to build up, when we are carrying out that great commission, we are building God's temple, right? And what did Jesus say? What did the king say to us in the midst of our stepping into his commission? He said, look, I'm with you always to the end of the age said the same thing to us as he says to them. Haggai in verse 14, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, of Joshua, of all the people. Haggai is echoing Philippians 2.12 here. Work out your own salvation. Live out that which God has put into you. Live out that life of God. Why? Because it is God who works in you, Philippians 2.12 said. It is God who is working in you both to will and to do. He stirs up his people and he enables us and strengthens us and provides for us in the work that he's given us. What he's doing here, he's doing now. That's my point. Haggai is not just about building a temple 2,000, 2,500 years ago, something like that. No, Haggai is about building God's temple today. There's an analogy that we've got to learn from. The danger in our thinking is believing that we are on our own. This is what causes us to need to look after ourselves. I've got to guard things. I've got to guard my time. I've got to reserve my resources for my own needs. If I think I'm on my own, if I think it's up to me, but if we know that we are not on our own, if we, are, if we know that our God is with us, that he stirs us up to his work, and it's, it's our privilege and his delight for, to, to join him in it, that he will provide and that he enables for what we need to do, then the obstacles, even the uphill climb, they're not simply a difficult challenge. They're leaving. They're leading to a whole better view. 
They are a place when our following God and our trusting God become our act of worship of God. In the next year, there is going to be set before us. In the coming months, there's going to be set before us an opportunity. What could we do as a church now concerning the, our facilities, and particularly the children's facilities, for the next generation of families here at Brush Prairie Church? We're going to have opportunities. We're going to have these things set before us. What should we do? In the coming months, we're going to have opportunities to take intentional steps of how we engage in the lives of others and in the lives of one another. Discipling, helping someone take a next step in faith in Christ, helping someone take a next step in their faith concerning Jesus and in their walk with him. Living in and giving out God's life. Opportunities to do that together, are going to take, but, but they're going to take time. They're going to take our talents. They're going to take our treasure if we're going to want to be growing together with others. There will be opposition. There will be distractions. There will be all kinds of reasons that seem to say, now is just not quite yet the time. But let's, let's let God set the time. And our part will be to simply do this. We will put the big rocks in first. And we'll let the rest of it sort itself out from there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. We're, we're, we're surprised, we're amazed at how you, how you would use us in what you are doing. You are building a, a much grander and more glorious temple than was imagined by Solomon or Haggai or even Herod. Father, the temple you are building around the world is a temple that shows the body of Christ and brings you glory. And Father, that you would use us in that. That you invite us into it. In fact, you say the greater works will you do through us, even then through Jesus. Oh Lord, guard us from distraction. Lord, instead, give us to be given to your work and your purpose. Father, for the joy of being used by you. The delight of seeing your delight as we walk with you the glorious purpose of bringing our God glory most of all. Father, would you use our time for this? Lord, would you use the talents that you, in fact, have given us for this? And we don't know just how, but Father, we don't need to know that in isolation. We can learn that together in the company of others and even from leaders who we would follow as they follow you. Father, would you even take what we would yield back to you concerning the treasure you've put in our trust. Father, receive this offering now. Use it for your glory. Father, build your temple here now in, in this community and around the world for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.